Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in August. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're joined uh, for the hour by poet Ben Gunsberg. He's been writing poems for the pandemic. We'll hear some of those poems today. His latest collection is Welcome Dangerous Life. He writes about the vulnerability of being a parent. He says the stakes are raised once you've got children. The title of the collection sort of hints at the way life seems more dangerous once you have children, once you have this vulnerable being you're responsible for, and the way the world has colored and changed. Ben Gunsberg will read some of those poems as well. Ben Gunsberg is an associate professor of English at Utah State University. He earned an MFA from University of Alabama, PhD from the University of Michigan. His poetry appears in Cutbank, Tupelo Quarterly, and the South Carolina Review, among other magazines. He's, he auth- he's authored that poetry collection, Welcome Dangerous Life, and a poetry chapbook, Rhapsodies with Portraits. And we welcome in uh, Ben Gunsberg. Welcome to the program. How are you? Uh, d- doing Doing well. So how how are you doing during the pandemic? Well, uh, we're doing okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, uncertain um, with uh, schools opening, and um, uh, you know, we're, we're we're my wife's a kindergarten teacher, so uh, right now I think you know one of the most pressing topics is what's going to happen once once school opens. I've got a I've got a a, a daughter going into ninth grade. Uh, a son in elementary school, so of course I teach at USU. So I think that's really been been on our minds lately. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, we're doing fine. I think you know, living in Utah, having access to so much uh, public land and um, so many outdoor activities, I think we're in we're in pretty good shape. I think compared to some of my uh, friends and family who are who are in more densely populated areas. Yeah, they're they're a little more cooped up, I, I suppose. Have you, have you and your family been getting out into into those public lands? We have, yeah. We've been we've been heading up uh, Logan Canyon, and we've gone up to Bear Lake a few times. And um, you know, we're, we're definitely uh, getting out as much as we can, picking up uh, food sometimes from from favorite restaurants, trying to support uh, local merchants, and and then uh, spending time outdoors. So. I guess if there's if there's a boon to all of this, uh, one of them would be, you know, spending more time outside. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and with uh, with your your wife as a kindergarten teacher, you teach at the university, uh, ninth grader. That we're we're going to be heading into a whole whole new world, aren't we? Uh, uh, and see how it Absolutely. works. Absolutely. Um, I want to. It, it seems like, at least for me, and it's only five months in. Uh, it, the, the pandemic has hit the interminable phase. Uh, it seems like it's gone on forever, and I'm having trouble remembering pre-pandemic. Uh, I wonder if you would. Uh, you've been writing these poems for the, you know, about the pandemic, and the, uh, 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 this might be a good time to bring in uh, a poem you called "Too Soon Sonnet." Do you have those in front yeah, of you? Yeah, this is this. Yeah, I do. I have those poems with me. Um, you know, I was working on a different project, and uh, when the pandemic hit, and I I changed course. I mean, not really by choice, but but more just by um, necessity. It was what what was sort of haunting my imagination, and so I started to write these poems just based on what I was seeing in the news and, and hearing, uh, <clears throat> talking to to friends and family in other parts of the country. And so it was, um, it was a topic that I couldn't ignore. So, um, 
<clears throat> I wrote this poem called Too Soon Sonnet. Um, it's actually about, uh, you know, sort of thinking about writing poetry in response to to tragedy uh, or to, to, the, to the crisis. So um, uh, I'll just read it. Too Soon Sonnet. My friend believes it's much too soon to write poems about the tragedy. Good Lord, she says, at least hold off until we've mourned our dead. It's not yet spring. She could be right. Gray ice still scabs the yard. I haven't heard robins practice piccolo at dawn. Hailstorms batter unspun buds. What's wrong with these pandemic poems? She thinks my verses vulture grief embezzle pain. Does sound technique, can one say taste, rely on time to sheathe the scythe and sterilize our wounds? These words won't live in stifled breath, yet fine forms may help us rise, embrace again. If not this, perhaps a better poem, but when? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question, right? It, obviously, your your point of view is is clear in your poem. Your friend, you can understand, you know, maybe too soon, but but as you say in the poem, well, well, then when? This is early on um, in the pandemic when I wrote this poem, and I actually I wrote it in response to a friend's response to it to a different pandemic poem, and and she was she was saying, you know, it it, it felt so raw at the time. Um, and her question was, you know, you know, is, is this something that you should make public at this moment or do we need time to let things settle before, uh, before we make these, uh, types of these, this type of art public? Um, of course now, you know, it's been months and we've seen all sorts of responses, artistic responses, uh, responses in popular culture to what's going on, because I think other people or most people are, are, are dealing with this and artists, of course, you know, use art to respond to their experience in the world. And so it wasn't like I could help it. Um, but it, it's a good question uh, uh, because um, I think the danger is that um, you somehow compromise uh, the, um, uh, you know, the grief, you know, that, that people are feeling uh, by, by making art with this material. So, you know, I can understand her, her question and her sentiment. So, you know, obviously that's, you've hit upon why we have art at any time, right? Because artists do art. That's how they respond, right? Including you. Uh, mm-hmm. What does that do, do you think? What, uh, how does that contribute to the, you know, to the big conversation that we have of necessity about what we're going through? Yeah, um, I mean, on a, on, on a personal level, I think it helps me manage uh, anxiety and 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 grief and um, and so I think for for artists that's there is a sort of a personal component to it. Um, I think more generally for the population, I think art recasts material in ideally in in new ways, um, and so it gives us a more rounded perspective of any particular subject. Um, we tend to. Uh, we tend to get locked into conventional ways of saying things, uh, conventional ways of seeing things, and art breaks some of those conventions open, ideally, and um, casts new light on on a subject and allows us to see things that we might not have seen otherwise. You say for you personally, it helps you to deal with anxiety. 
Uh, how, how so? The process of writing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't, ex- <laughs> I haven't explored it with a therapist, but um, I think, uh, you know, I have a kind of regular uh, uh, writing practice. I get up in the morning. I tend to write early. I think just having any kind of practice is, is useful for managing anxiety. At least it's useful for me. Um, and then with, with, uh, with writing in particular, of course, you're using words and you're playing with ideas. And so it, it, it gives me a, a sense of control. I don't know if it's a false sense of control, but a sense of control over this material. Of course, all of this, um, all of the information we're getting is coming through language. And so, um, if I'm taking that language and then, you know, in this case, putting into a, putting it into a sonnet form, which is a you know traditional poetic form, it it makes me feel like I have some control over these matters. Um, if it's it may be fleeting, um, but for the time being, it, it focuses my attention um, and allows me to sculpt uh, these uh, these things in ways that give me a sense of. Uh, of, of, of control and agency. Yeah, and that feeling of control, we, we need that, don't we? And it, it's, it might be illusory, right? <laughs> but but we, we, right. Like, we like to feel right. we have it. Uh, and, and if we don't, yeah. then, then it does produce anxiety. And, and when you have this invisible virus, uh, you know, floating yeah. around, uh, you, you do have a, you feel like a, have a loss of control, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and it's invisible, and it's um, uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, you know, I mean, we're getting mixed messages, you know, from various outlets, and um, so yeah, this is a situation where I think a lot of people feel um, a kind of loss of agency um, in the midst of, of the situation, and of course, people who are actually dealing with a health crisis, uh, there's always a sense of loss of control whenever you're sick. Um, and so, yeah, it's, this is a, this is such a, a strange time. Um, um, yeah, but I found actually writing one of the things, uh, about these pandemic poems that, that I found interesting is that I tended to, um, veer towards, uh, sort of formal verse, uh, different forms, at least the 14 or so poems I've written, quite a few of them are either, you know, like a sonnet or, a, or a, another form that I use as a pantoum. Um, which is sort of a, came out of, of Malaysia. Uh, it's a highly repetitive form. So I think something about the structure of formal poetry was enticing um, because it, 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 the, the, the structure and the form of it gave me uh, something to sort of hold on to as I was trying to manage uh, these, um, in, these in, intense topics, emotionally intense topics. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. So, so what you read uh, just now was a sonnet, right? That's a very old form. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a, four, a, four, a fourteen line form with with a, a rhyme scheme and 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 sort of an iambic pentameter. Yeah, yeah. we associate with Shakespeare, right? <laughs> um, and this is yeah. this yeah. is very topical. You know, this is about the about the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing that a sonnet does is it has a, oftentimes there's sort of an argument within the poem itself. Of course, the argument in the poem that I just read is, you know, do you, you know, should you write, should you write, should you do art, you know, um, in, in such close proximity or amidst this pa- a pandemic or a, a crisis? Um, 
And, and so it, it, the, the poem sort of ma- manages that in a very tight space with 14 lines. And it has a, usually has a kind of turn where the, where the argument kind of switches um, and moves in a slightly different direction mm. uh, called the Volta. Uh, you, yeah. men- you mentioned Pantum. Tell us about Pantum and then uh, maybe have you read uh, Panic Pantum. Yeah, the, the uh, Pantum is, like I said, it's a, uh, you know, originated in um, Malaysia and uh, it was, it was often sung. Uh, so it had a musical component to it. And um, the, uh, <clears throat> the, it, it can be sort of of any length, uh, but the second and fourth lines of each stanza serve as the first and third lines of the next stanza. And then the last line is sometimes the, is sometimes also the first line. So you get a lot of repetition <clears throat> in the poem. And I think, you know, it, it was sort of, it wasn't like I chose the form and then um, wrote the poems. I think the form, I think the form came out of this sense of a sort of the, the viral <laughs> uh, nature of a poem where the stanzas sort of infect one another. Um, so I was thinking about how the form and the content of the poems maybe work together. Um, and, <clears throat> yeah, the poem, the, the, the poem Panic Pantoon was written sort of early on. Um, this was actually the poem that my friend responded to. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Panic Pantoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, schools close, markets sell out of soap, diapers, paper towels. I've never felt more like an extra in a movie. Perhaps you share my foreboding. Out of soap and flour, I drive downtown, wait in line. Perhaps you share my foreboding. What do we do? I'll tell you. Drive downtown, wait in line. Absorb oxygen from the wild March wind. What do we do? You tell me, stranger who shares my biology. Blood absorbing oxygen from the wild March wind. Lungs spreading with each gulp. Stranger who shares my biology. Blood, hands, head too big for its own good. Lungs spreading with each gulp. Until we're told to stay home. Wash hands. My head too big for its own good. Warmer now than yesterday. I lie down until I'm told to stay home. Wash I've never felt more like an extra in a movie. Warmer now than yesterday. I lie down. Schools closed. Market sold. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's. I've never felt more like an extra in a movie. <laughs> we can relate to that. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a. It, it was a strange face. Still is a strange feeling. Yeah, and and uh, you know, a stranger who shares my biology. Um, that, you know that that our our connection right to each other, and then that connection yeah. becomes you know t- it takes on an air of danger. Yes, yes, yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking about. Um, and of course, seeing you know so many people <clears throat> um, uh, responding in different ways. I mean, their bi- literally their biology responding in different ways to to the virus. Um, was uh, sort of haunting. You, it, seem, it seems like you, you don't know if, if you're going to be one of the 20% that has an acute response. Um, and uh, so I was thinking about about some of those sort of biological aspects of the virus 
I wonder if you'd read uh, the poem "Social Distance." I'd, uh, really connected yeah, to, to this one. This is a this is a <clears throat> this is actually a hard poem to read because it's a villanelle and there's a there's a a blank space uh, that's repeated. Uh, villanelle is also a highly repetitive form. It's a French form, and um, yeah. It, <clears throat> so I guess I'll say. Uh, in, in place of the blank space, I'll just I'll just uh, use silence uh, to represent that that space. Social distance. My existential fear of grows into a poem, while grieving friends reside in separate space. This cryptic text composes shadow figures through a hazy window, where we lived together once. If we align our solitary fears of, will we grow closer? Friends, is it possible to sew the gaps, retie the surgeon's knot, and bind our separate space? This cyclic text composes nothing new. I'm rhyming like a dial tone, persistent drone, a faithful service line, where my existential fear of dying flows into a gentle Vedic sonorant. Ohm sliding through the mufflered ear of time to bridge our separate space, a text composed to echo longing. Friends, we're not alone. I mingle all your scattered songs with mine and hope our solitary fears of flow as one, inseparable from meaning. Yeah, excellent. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking with uh, Ben Gunsberg. He's a poet. He's associate professor of English at Utah State University. Um, and his uh, his newest collection is Welcome Dangerous Life. Uh, and he's been writing poems uh, during this pandemic, responding to the, to the pandemic. We do, we're starting with that. We'll get into uh, poems from Welcome Dangerous Life uh, later in the program. So uh, fear of blank, right? It's uh, yes. it's very apropos. Yeah. It's it 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 varies from person to person. There are fears we all share, and then I, I think our fears and anxieties are sort of ratcheted up during the pandemic, whatever they might be. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think so. I think it it tends to compound our anxiety, um, or it does it does for me, and um, so uh, this yeah this poem. Um, I tries to capture that sense of, uh, I mean, I, I mean, sometimes, you, you know, you're walking around and you don't know exactly what's haunting you. Um, you feel this sort of sense of foreboding and, um, you can't name it exactly. Um, I think now, nowadays, all of those anxieties are amplified. <clears throat> uh, so uh, this line in the poem, friends, is it possible to sew the gaps, retie the surgeon's knot and bind our separate space? Do you, you feel it is? Um, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think th this line was inspired by the fact that I've, I've gotten into touch with uh, a number of old friends and um, that I, you know, that I sort of lost touch with, but people who are checking in or I've been checking in with them. And uh, I think, um like amidst a crisis, uh, people can uh, come together in really uh, productive ways, um, and so uh, that can make me that can make people feel optimistic. 
I mean, I don't know about you if you've sort of heard from people that maybe you haven't heard from in a while um, and and connected maybe with neighbors. We're all dealing with this. And so, you know, one of the the things, you know, I might be out on a walk and I might see someone who I haven't seen for a while say, you know, how are you doing? How, you know, how are you managing this, this crisis? And um, so it feels like a shared experience and um, it, it, it could be something that builds community. You know, unfortunately we have situations where it's dividing people, but you know, it, it could, it could bring us together. Let's, well, on that hopeful note, let's end the, the first segment here. We'll go to break. Uh, when we come back, I'll have you read a, a two or three more of your uh, the pandemic uh, poems. Uh, we'll start, uh, by the way, with Mullet Sonnet 2020, which is <laughs> okay. which is a fun, <laughs> which is a fun one. I I, I relate. I I, uh, I uh, well, this is about the 80s, and I I remember the 80s. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. Uh, ben Gunsberg is a poet and associate professor of English at Utah State University is our guest. He's uh, author most recently of the collection Welcome Dangerous Life. Uh, and uh, we've uh, spent the first part of the program talking about his uh, pandemic poems. Uh, we'll have more following this break. Thanks for tuning in to Access Utah here on Utah Public Radio. UPR programming is supported in part by our members and Chamber Music Society of Logan, offering a watch and listen virtual concert series featuring Gilbert Kalyosh on piano performing Brahms, Quartet Number no. 3 in C minor for piano and strings. Concert available at cmslogan.org December 8th through the 12th. This is Craig Jessup, director of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, inviting you to celebrate Christmas with the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra and Utah Public Radio. During this time when public performances are limited, UPR will broadcast the 2015 concert featuring Jenny Oaks Baker and Jenny Jordan Frogley. Tune in Friday, December 4th at 1 and 7 p.m. right here on Utah Public Radio. This Week in This American Life. I have no idea what gave me the confidence as a 12-year-old to take some books out of the Baltimore County Public Library about magic, put together a show, and then just start advertising to perform at kids' birthday parties. I did magic shows for years, and so did one of the producers on our radio program, David Kestenbaum. And this week, he and I dive back into that world to learn all kinds of things that we never knew about as kid magicians. Saturday at 10, here on UPR. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in August. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with poet Ben Gunsberg. Um, he's been writing poems for the pandemic. We're hearing some of those poems. Uh, later, we'll hear some poems from his latest collection, Welcome Dangerous Life. Ben Gunsberg is Associate Professor of English at Utah State University. Uh, his poetry, uh, poetry collection, as I mentioned, Welcome Dangerous Life, and he's author also of a poetry chapbook, Rhapsodies with the Portraits. You can join this conversation if you'd like by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, so, Ben Gunsberg, uh, before we have you read a few more poems, uh, how early did you know you wanted to be a poet? Was that uh, earlier in life, a little bit later in your growing up years? <laughs> Well, uh, I guess it, it would be later. I, I always loved reading and loved poetry, um, I guess, from, a, from an early age. Uh, uh, so, you know, my, 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 
I sort of come from a, I would say, a literary household sort of surrounded by books and musical instruments. And so it sort of it was part of part of the culture of my home to to talk about books. And uh, my dad enjoyed poetry. And, and so we just had a lot of them laying around the house. I don't think I really strived to be a poet until maybe college um, when I, uh, I I started to take creative writing classes. Uh, I studied in Ireland and um, took a really wonderful course uh, in Irish poetry and became enchanted with the work of you know, Seamus Heaney, Thomas Kinsella. And um, I came back with a sort of energized uh, by poetry and I decided uh, after, after teaching middle school for a few years in New Jersey, I decided to pursue an MFA in poetry writing at the University of Alabama. And I think that's when, you know, when things started to become uh, more serious in, in the sense that I was starting to send work out for publication and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, it was something that I did, but that I sort of balanced with other interests. Um, so, and I would say even now, I, I, I teach both poetry and uh, English education courses at USU. So, even now, I'm balancing my poetry writing with with other with with other things. Um, but it's a, a very important part of my life, of course. Uh, I want to follow up on a couple of things. So, um, middle school—that's uh, my. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. in my education at, at USU, I, I flirted with the idea of becoming a secondary education teacher. I took a one week or maybe about a two week practicum at a middle school and uh, that decided me. I, I didn't want to, uh, I mean, the kids were great, but I, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They, they can be a little terrifying it, too. It, I mean, it's kind of, uh, how was your experience? It's a, yeah, it's a challenging, it's a challenging, uh, group, but they, they have, uh, they have tremendous energy. And so if you can harness that energy and focus it in the right direction, it's, it's really rewarding, but it can also, it can also, uh, things can go awry quickly. Um, yeah, I, I did a program called Teach for America, uh, following, uh, my, my undergraduate work. And, uh, so you're placed in a, you know, in a different part of the country. I was placed in Newark, New Jersey, and, um, I was actually teaching, uh, math, science, and social studies, um, uh, and it was, yeah, it was a, it was a, I think a really good experience, but very challenging in many ways. <laughs> yeah. So Teach for America, that's an interesting program, you know, very idealistic in, in some ways. Uh, I guess you were, it you is. were, that's why you, you did this and then you were placed in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Right. Swept away by idealism and placed in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't yeah, quite mean I, it I, that I, way, I, but, uh, but <laughs> New Jersey is a very fine state. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, um, I, uh, you know, my, my mom's a social, uh, a school social worker and, uh, my dad taught in schools. And, um, so, you know, there was sort of education in, in, in my family and I thought this would be a, um, uh, an interesting, um, entree into, into teaching. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was challenging in a lot of ways. You're placed in a new, in a new part of the country in a community that you're not necessarily familiar with. And, and then, um, you know, of course, all of the challenges that uh, associated with, like, being a first-year teacher um, are there. So, yeah, lots of, lots of things to, to, to try to, you know, overcome, lots of challenges to overcome. Uh, but, you know, students were, you know, I was really, I mean, actually, I, creative writing actually did, did play a role in that experience. We had a, 
a person, uh, a novelist, come in and work with my students. And it's really interesting. Um, her name was Meredith Sue Willis. And uh, to see students uh, really come alive when they were doing their creative writing, um, I think, made me really interested in how creative writing can be used in the schools uh, to inspire interest for students, you know, to to represent their experiences. And um, I found students to be really passionate when they were working with, with Sue Willis. So, you know, that, that idea sort of stays, stays with me even now in my teaching and, and training of pre-service uh, secondary teachers. Yeah. So well, I think the experience was important for that reason. I want to bring this forward to, to the, to the pandemic teaching during the pandemic. There are challenges yeah. of course, in, in, in being an educator, uh, and and you know great satisfactions too. I think you'd probably say. Um, and Absolutely. that that calculus, that calculation. I don't know. Maybe shifts a little bit in in uh, concerning ways, right? With with the pandemic. So the, your your wife's <laughs> kindergarten teacher, right? You have a ninth grader. Yeah. You're you're <laughs> you're going to be t- in front of uh, yeah. you know uh, young people at the university. Uh, yeah. w- what are the concerns you guys talk about? And then also the you know the hopes and. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just sort of like, what, what isn't there to be concerned about? I, I mean, um, you know, it, it, it's everything from, um, uh, you know, social distancing to masks to, you know, how, how, how is instruction going to work? Um, um, there's so much, there's so many unknowns at this point. It's sort of like we start talking about it and we try to solve these problems. And you try to solve one problem, and another problem sort of, sort of creeps in. Um, I guess you know one sort of optimistic way to think about it is it it does it does give you you know anytime you're faced with a a new challenge, you you have to adapt, and and sometimes these adaptations can be useful later on. And so you know my hope is that you know we'll find we'll we'll be innovative in our approach to instruction. Working with students, and and some of these innovations will will last. Um, um, you know, I think already people are finding ways to better connect with students, whether it's you know working with students via Zoom or some other web broadcast program. You know, you find things that don't work, and then you find things that do work. And so, you know, may, maybe there will be some positive outcomes in terms of the short term and students returning. I think we just don't know what that's going to look like. It's it's a big experiment at this point. Nobody knows. I'm sure you got to be concerned about health, right? Especially sending your ninth grader off, and then also you know you and your yeah. wife, you're uh, we're all concerned about our health, and now yeah. we're sending our teachers and our kids into a, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, I mean that's the biggest concern, right? Is the, is, is 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 our family's health, students' health, um, and if, and that's got to be the and in my opinion, that's got to be the priority. You know, is is keeping keeping people safe. And, um, you know, after maybe physical health, maybe mental health, you know, uh, and, and then I think, you know, then thinking about ways to, to best instruct in, in this environment. But, yeah, sure, that, I think that's got to be the priority. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm happy with the way that Logan City Schools is doing a kind of a, um, a, a staggered opening where they're, where they're actually – um, you know, having students go for a half day to ensure social distancing. And um, so I think they've got a pretty good plan. So, I mean, you know, no plan is going to be perfect, but, but, but we feel pretty good about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. 
And and USU, you feel feel you know at least somewhat confident in in USU's plan. USU's been been very been very flexible about how they're allowing people to teach. Some some folks are going to be teaching in person. Um, if you're if you're if you have a you're going to need a, a larger space to ensure social distancing. Uh, some people are going to be teaching uh, via web broadcast or Zoom. Um, other people are going to be doing recordings. Um, you know, there's there's a wide variety. So students are going to be seeing lots of different types of instruction. For my for my you know my English ed students, it, it'll be sort of an it will be an interesting topic of conversation to see how these different forms of instruction, uh, how they're responding to these different forms of instruction and using different media. Because inevitably, when they go into teach secondary school, they're going to be using different media. I mean, even beyond the pandemic. I mean, the expectation now is that teachers. Um, incorporate uh, internet technology into their teaching, and so it becomes something for us to talk about as well. If you're joining us, we're talking with Ben Gunsberg. He's a poet and associate professor of English at Utah State University. The latest collection is called "Welcome Dangerous Life." Uh, so I, I want to have you just uh, talk very briefly about Ireland. That's you know not everybody's lived in Ireland, right? So um, no. what's what's the what's maybe the top bullet point? What's your what's your takeaway? Memories of Ireland? Oh, okay. <laughs> University College Galway is where I was uh, stationed. Um, I'm, uh, you know, my my memory. One of my, you know, sort of the, the striking thing is that when you go into a restaurant or a pub, um, you'll see you'll see uh, you know soccer players, uh, Irish, uh, you know, um, Irish athletes, and right beside them will be uh, literary figures. So you'll see Yeats and Joyce. So, you know, you, I think there, it's a, one of the things that I liked about it was that the literary tradition is celebrated in very public ways. You know, they're very aware of, of, of their great writers and very proud. And, and, um, and so, you know, the language itself is very musical, and, and I think there's a celebration of, of uh, the literary arts. And it, I mean, we have that here to a certain extent, but it was sort of mixed in with, sort of public places and, and, and public discussions. I remember talking with people and they could recite, you know, Yeats poems, you know, sort of automatically, which I was surprised by because you don't see that quite as much in, in the U S I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's my impression as well. Um, so I, I, um, teased this. Um, I wonder if you would, uh, would read this, this poem, um, yeah, about, about, well, at least it's titled the Mullet, 80s. right? Yeah, yeah, it's about the eighties. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, this poem is called <laughs> Mullet Sonnet, uh, twenty twenty, and uh, for the uninitiated, a mullet is uh, is a haircut that was popular in the eighties with uh, sort of longish in back and sort of shortish bangs and sometimes feathered on the side. Um, it, it, you know, it was very popular, especially athletes. If you can look at, you know. Uh, pictures of Andre Agassi or most hockey players uh, from from the 80s uh, have have this haircut. And I and, and the reason I wrote this poem is that I looked in the mirror and I realized I hadn't had a haircut in a while, and it looked like I was growing a mullet. So that was, that was the inspiration for this poem. Uh, there's also quite a few uh, like slang terms from the 80s that people might recognize. Mullet Sonnet 2020. My mop clipped short in 1999 looked mint in 1984. 
I grew it long in back, feathered my bangs and sides. Dudes my age, we called each other dude. Dreamed to score like Yarmer Yager, Gretzky. Like totally Google, like righteous actors from the 80s. Corey Feldman, Patrick Swayze. If Samson blessed our temples and upturned collars with mullets, they'd look like Agassiz in 88. Oh, mane of polished brass. Today he's bald. I'm growing back my sweet coiffure. I have no choice. Barber shops, alas, closed. Churches, schools, the NHL. Trump blows false hope. It's big league safe. Doc Fauci, no. <laughs> Very good. Mullet Sonnet 2020. <laughs> I remember yeah. I remember mullets. <laughs> I never had one, but I... I yeah, you remember, sure. I, I yeah. associated with friends who had mullets. And, uh, um, yeah. uh, by the way, uh, I'm sure you're aware NHL is back. They're, they're sort of in a bubble, right? Yep. And, uh, they're, they're going ahead with yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, they're in a... Yeah, sports are back, and um, you know, it must be strange for those athletes uh, being in those closed, those uh, sort of contained areas. But hockey's back. My my son's a hockey player, so I'm, I I grew up in Michigan, more or less. So you know, ho- hockey's sort of important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As much as possible, we want to do, do, you know do the things that are important to us. But it's uh, you know it's. Always adaptations during these times. Uh, I want to uh, get to yeah. I want to get to poems from Welcome Dangerous Life. I'll just mention uh, you have a poem called okay. Line Speed about the meatpacking plants. Um, and there, there's yeah. a there's a poignant yeah. poem called Class of 2020. Which, you know this this has been a an odd, weird, <laughs> melancholy year, right? Right yeah. for graduating seniors. Yeah, 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 yeah. That poem was inspired by you know I have some friends who have kids who are who graduated and, and just thinking about, you know, some of the things that they didn't get to experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take a break. And then I want to jump into welcome dangerous life and have you read some of the poems from this latest uh, collection. We're talking with Ben Gunsberg, a poet and associate professor of English at Utah state university. We'll have more following this break. Support for Utah public radio programming comes from our members and CAPSA, a nonprofit rape crisis center providing free and confidential services for cash and rich counties, including support phone line, rape exam advocacy, and clinical therapy. Information at capsa.org. You're listening to Access Utah here on Utah Public Radio. Coming up at 10 o'clock, we have Living on Earth, followed by Climate One at 11. I'm Senator Dan McKay. I want you to join us for both sides of the aisle from KCPW here on Utah Public Radio. A weekly debate over politics, policy, and current issues where I give the truth, Shireen says something, and Natalie tries to moderate the middle. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing you, the residents of the state. Don't miss the conversation. Tune in Thursday mornings, 10 o'clock, here at Utah Public Radio. There has never been a better time to connect with Utah Public Radio through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can learn more about our programs, find our podcast links, and get all of the details about UPR's special holiday happenings. Now is the perfect time to swipe, click, and link to your local public radio station, Utah Public Radio.
Kids with nowhere else to go are ending up in facilities with a history of problems. Kids fighting staff, staff fighting kids. Blood on the walls, blood in the timeout room. The states sending kids there have been warned. It fell on deaf ears. We have assumed that he was in a restraint and now he's unresponsive. Is he breathing? Yes, but lightly. On the next Reveal. Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in August. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We reached our last segment with Ben Gunsberg. He's a poet and associate professor of English at Utah State University. And his uh, latest collection is called Welcome, Dangerous Life. Um, So Ben Gunsberg, um, maybe to jump in... uh, 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 have you read the the titled poem? That'd be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, poem is "Welcome Dangerous Life." The doctors guessed your guts were snarled, so they strapped you to a board, inched a hose down your esophagus, pumped you full of X-ray dye. Now shuffle close, play peekaboo behind your mother's thigh. Hello, goodbye, son. There's more. I'll shape that room before its memory dims. White blue walls, wires up your arm, skin still downy from the womb. Nurses take you out, and there we sit, stewed in antiseptic air. A wheeled IV squeaks, sour smell of grief. Our minds button to your body down the hall, where they shield your infant head behind lead plates. The x-ray's eye getting at the truth about your bowels. We know it's for the best. Doctors doing this detective work like archaeologists freeing frescoes sealed by plaster. No, not like that. You'll learn I rush comparisons. This night is like nothing. Two people on a fold-out bed. One gave birth ten hours past. The other pleads. Hmm. Uh, and you said that, um, that you know, the title of this poem sort of hints the way life seems more dangerous once you have children. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's I think that's the the unifying uh, theme here in this in this book. Um, I, it was I, I wrote most of these poems, um, you know, during a time when my children were quite young. Um, you know, part I was in graduate school and I or I'd gotten the job here at USU and um, things, uh, I think, you know, your own childhood is cast in a different light once you have, once you have kids. And, and then the things that maybe seemed relative, relatively benign or um, maybe easy um, sometimes become more challenging um, with, with young children. And uh, so that was, I think, playing into a lot of the poems in this collection this particular poem is about when my son was born, they, they, they thought that there was something wrong with his intestines. And so there was a set of procedures that they had to do. And this was, you know, 10 hours after he was born, just hours after he was born, actually. And, um, and so it was a scary, a scary time, you know, thank goodness he was, he was okay. And it didn't have to go to surgery, but, um, you know, it's one of those moments I think that, that stays with you. And so I probably wrote the poem a couple of years after it happened, just to let the experience cool off. Um, and then, you know, it sort of came back to me and I, and I composed the poem about it. 
Yeah. So, so for you, as 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 for some parents, that <laughs> the, the anxiety is ratcheted up immediately, right, with the problems. Right. With this, yeah. In this particular case, it was yeah. you know it was a, it was an issue. Uh, you know, and my brother, there was some issues uh, when he was born. He took sort of a premature breath, and he was in the hospital for uh, for about a week. And so, I think you know this poem. I think in my mind, this poem, the, my experience as a kid, seeing my brother in an incubator, and you know, he's sort of you know attached to all these wires. That 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 memory is sort of burnt into my consciousness, and um, I think it's, it's sort of. I think it plays into this poem as well. So I think I was thinking of my son, of course, but also I think the memories of my brother um, and what what happened when he was born also come into play. Um, I, there are several poems really uh, struck me. This one I I liked a lot: "Self Portrait as a Mole at the End of the World." That's it's on page yeah. sixty one. Okay, if you yeah. read, read that for us. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, um, you know. Kids often ask you what your favorite animal is, so that was, I think, the, the sort of the question that inspired this poem. Self-portrait as a mole at the end of the world. I say hawk when asked by our children what animal I would choose. Except nights, I fear the end is near. News of chlorine gas, missile tests, drone attacks. Those nights, I pick a mole because something soft and harmless should survive a holocaust even if it means shrinking to one-fiftieth my size and hiding underground until clouds drain their poison and the great fires hiccup smoke and the champion virus dulls its sword. When sweetening roots signal a safer world, I'll surface, break through bone mounds to sniff out grace. Nearly blind, I will not see our crumbling, ant-lacquered street, blue luminous dragonflies haloing the porch, I'll snuffle through dust, pink feet padding home, where I'll rake my harmless claws upon the mat and cast my small shadow on the bathroom floor. The cold white tiles still intact, shower shower cap hanging like a dry mushroom on the brass knob. I'll recall with my genius snout, Sunday morning long ago, lavender soap, comb pulled behind your ear, parting hair for which I hunt, the old world still wet in my mind, like a robe that draped your shoulders once. Mm. Uh, uh, you picked a mole because something soft and harmless should survive a Holocaust, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> not not going to tell that to your kids, though. Hawk is what you t- <laughs> what you tell them. Understand. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, when I think, right, when I think, yeah, when I think uh, sometimes, you know, Somebody asked me, oh, what animal, we have kids often ask what animal you would be, and I thought, oh, it would be great to be a hawk, you know, to have that, that sense of, that vision and um, the ability to fly. But then, uh, but actually, you know, and of course a hawk is a predator and, and a mole is prey. But yeah, I, think, I think when I think of all of the sort of predatory uh, features of our world, um, you know, I in, in this poem, anyway, the speaker sort of changes changes his mind and thinks about maybe actually trying to be something something soft and harmless because there's enough there there are enough predators out there. Yeah, well, we have about four minutes left in the program. Uh, is, is there a, is there a poem or two that you'd like to read? Oh, um, yeah. Well, you actually, Tom, you picked 
you picked a number of the ones that I that I was interested in okay. sharing. Um, All right. I um, <laughs> yeah, I could uh, you know I could share a, a poem near the end of the collection called Breakfall, which is um, uh, sort of I think concerned with uh, you know the idea of aging, and it was uh, I was thinking about it because at the time um, both of my kids were doing were doing judo, and I was thinking about this idea of breaking your fall and sort of slapping having to slap the mat to disperse the force of the impact. And the poem is called Breakfall. How will you manage stairs when your brittle body trembles like a piece of straw? Some say practice wearing a tool belt, a backpack, fall in heels, some say. Tuck your head, round right angles, no straight legs, no arched spine. Do not hold your breath. Consider the terrain. Some say keep lights on, remove rugs. Grass is not the same as gravel, even for the cannonball. Whether you slip or you're thrown, you'll want to slap the earth, disperse that whoosh flowing from your fingertips. Yeah, that's uh, breakfall. That's the impulse, isn't it? Always. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and I think you know that's. I think we're in the midst of that right now. We're trying to break our fall in various ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have another brief poem? We'd have uh, oh, maybe a couple of minutes left. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe I'll end with a uh, one other uh, pantoum. Um, it's called Good Mix, and I, I mentioned um, that I was I was writing uh, poems. I was actually writing a, a collection. Um, oriented towards music, and um, I thought about all the good that people are doing, uh, particularly in, in our community where people rallied and, and supported some of the people who were at the at the meatpacking plant um, who were in difficult situations. And so this poem was inspired by by the good people who were were helping out. It's called Good Mix. Put good microphones in front of good people and get out of the way. The hush sounds good. Drums and bass sound good. Even the 20 minutes it took to tune the guitar sound good. Get out of the way. The hush sounds good. Record what flies out of your mouth. Replay minutes required to tune a guitar. Sounds good through speakers, through headphones. Good record of what flies out of your mouth. Replay laughter. Replay love, love. Replay welcome through speakers, through headphones. Good arrives like buds amidst crackling frost. Replay laughter. Replay amour. Replay benvindo. We're making a record, tending the good mix, nurturing buds amidst crackling frost. Rewind the old comfort, the old guard. Elders, children, we're making a record, tending the good mix for those at risk, giving anyone who trembles old comforts. Children guard the elders. Good dogs guard good homes where we record for those at risk, giving anyone who trembles drum and bass good sounds. Even people far away feel the pulse of our good mix through phones, through flesh, Lero, Mung, Speranza. Yeah. And those last three words are hope in, in various languages. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's a that's a good one to end on. That's a, the, the hopeful note, of course, and that there there is good being done. That's uh, yeah, that, that impulse, thankfully, is still with us, right during these troubled times. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the the something, something to cling to. Something to cling to. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, yeah. the the collection is Welcome Dangerous Life. Uh, the author is poet Ben Gunsberg. We've also heard some of his uh, poems for the pandemic. Uh, and he's professor, associate professor of English at Utah State uh, University. You can find him at his website, bengunsberg.com. Ben Gunsberg, a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Cafe Ibis Gallery Deli at 52 Federal Avenue in Logan. Featuring triple certified coffee, espresso bar, and pastries seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Click Cafe Online Ordering at CafeIbis.com. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. No one can sing elaborately woven vocal lines quite like the British vocal ensemble Stile Antico. This holiday season, the award-winning group sings a concert of luminous Christmas music from the English Renaissance at St. Paul's Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Kathy Fuller. Join me for the sound of soaring voices on A Choral Christmas with Stile Antico from NPR Music. Tune in Wednesday, December 2nd at 9 p.m. right here on Utah Public Radio.